0: Mark, Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to episode number 32 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship, and with me as always is the spectacular Sarah D. Bunting. (laughs)
1: That's so good. And all the ships at sea. Hello, Mark. Hello. How are you?
0: Uh, Sarah, you brought in our song choice for the day, so why don't you tell us what it is and why you picked it? Uh, Today we are listening to the opening track from
1: Beck's Garrow, and I actually picked this because it's the opening track and because I wanted to do a little bit of thinking and talking about opening tracks, what they mean. Uh kids, ask your parents, but songs used to mandatorily come on these things called albums or CDs and you listen to them in order. Uh so when I first got when I first got the Garrow album, which I believe my brother Dave Bunting recommended to me, um Obviously, this song was first, and it was this sort of um, call, like call to order, let's say, that let you know what what the album and your experience of listening was going to be about. So, let's replicate that right now and listen to the first minute of the first song on Garo, and then let's talk about it. My soul sleep down out of the world with my fingers holding on to the devil I know. All my troubles are in your trigger. Take your eyes and the mouth for the road, shoot your mouth, and you know your aiming. Don't forget to pick up what you sow. Talking trash to the garbage around you. <laughs> So the song pulled me right in, uh, to this album with that guitar riff. Um, and like a lot of first songs of albums, like it doesn't, it didn't end up in the sweep of time being my favorite song on the album. That's probably uh, hell yes. Um, but it lets you know what you're in for with the rest of the record, um, We should probably I I don't think
0: we've said yet, the name of the song is E-Pro.
1: Yes, the name of the song is E-Pro. So E-Pro, much like uh, Hung Up from Madonna's Confessions on a Dance Floor. Sure, Uh, yes. We discussed the second song from that album in episode three, but the first song is, like, it isn't my favorite on that album, but I like it. And sort of when when it started happening, it – Brought me right into the story of that album, the way that Epro does. Um, and there's something about that idea, uh, and it's confirmed obsolescence at this point in cultural history because the two of us have consumed albums as albums, and um, I'm sure many of our listeners have. But I don't tend to, I don't tend to marinate in them that way anymore. And this idea of like racing home from the Princeton Record Exchange, the RecX, with the new Sundays or the new Hole album, and that moment of hopeful anticipation when you hit close and the CD tray goes into your stack and you're like, something's about to happen and it could be fucking amazing. That this is like the um this is a perfect like platonic cave example of that experience and like looking forward to what story an album is going to, uh, draw you into and builds like all around you in your head.
0: And also it's just a good song. Mark. Oh my God. You know, I hadn't thought about this in that way, but now that you say that it's so true. Like, and it makes me think about other albums where the first song isn't necessarily the hottest hit, but does lay that groundwork. I'm thinking of. Jagged Little Pill, the first song uh-huh. on that album is All I Really Want, which is a good yep. song, but it's really more about, this is the sonic palette from which we will be working. These yep. are the typical things about which I will be talking. And now here comes song two, You to Know, Let Me Just Blow You Away. And that's mm-hmm. such a great point. Or, um, I'm also thinking about how on... Automatic for the People, the REM album. The first song is Drive, which is not the live version of Drive, which is really good, but this, like, the laid-back, sort of relaxed song, which it's more like a gentle start to what's become, to what becomes a really kick-in second song, which is The Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight. Oh, it's so interesting. So. Yeah. And I wonder,
1: yeah, like, I think that this used to be something that obviously was chosen with great care right that you know the producer would sort of be like we think this is the single but we're gonna park it at number four so they have to like get through whatever x amount of side a on the cassette to get to it and they sort of like learn to live with that album and start like agitating for radio to play it and then it's like I'm sure that there was like a ton of um research done on this. And, you know, that the artists would be like, no, you have to lead with this. And like, it's in the same way that I am fascinated by like, retail studies of what sells when it's put by the register and why you put sugary cereal like lower down. So kids, so it's at like kid eye level. This kind of thing is fascinating to me. But I also thinking about it when you're talking about popular, popular music, like, I don't necessarily think that all change is bad when it comes to this. But certainly, first of all, for artists, making popular music, it's really, really tough to make a living even tougher than it always has been um, to sort of scratch out your spot. Um, And second of all, I do think that something has been lost in terms of pop music as storytelling each discrete song but also all the songs on an album together Mm. and like our sort of collective um not collective unconscious the like received or conventional wisdom about how x song on an album is weak and
0: i don't know like i think that it's too bad that
1: we don't it's too bad we don't receive it this way anymore Yeah. And like,
0: I will say that I still do listen to albums as a complete unit, but I know that that makes me very much part of the minority. Whereas like you said, it used to be how everyone did it. And I feel like artists are now discouraged from even releasing coherent album statements. And it also makes me think about how while we had all of these albums that did have that arc and that would open with a, with a, table setter with a curtain raiser uh there were also so many albums that we had that I know I had where the first song was the hit single because this particular artist wasn't there to give you an album this artist was there to generate singles and yeah. the the first four songs were hot the back four songs were terrible and the songs in the middle were somewhere in between and you know and they always
1: buried they always buried a ballad so yes. track 1 side b Every Let me, single one, the, except Tom Petty.
0: The epitome of that concept that you've just said is Paula Abdul's Forever Your Girl album. Like, there were basically 3,000 hits on that album, but the last few songs are shit, and the next to last song is the one ballad. And it's like, yep, w- I see you, girl. I see uh-huh. you. Not-. And then in, her se- in Spellbound, the next Paula Abdul album, she tried to make more of a coherent statement. And it's very interesting to think about it that way. Oh, I'm also thinking now about, um, you know, the timeless miseducation of Lauryn Hill. The first song on that album is Lost Ones, which is that five and a half minute rap song where she just pounds over this really spare beat. And she's basically telling Wyclef that he can go ahead and fuck himself. And then she gets <laughs> down to business with the rest of that album. Anyway, another thing I well, want to... Or
1: pre- if you look at Madonna's very first album... Yes, that where did they park? Love don't live here anymore. Oh, that's on is, her second album,
0: but same difference. Oh, is
1: it her second album? Yeah, it's but it's it is track same One of side B, right? You're right. And then compare. Dreadful! Yeah. It's so bad. Like you know, she can't.
0: No, it's that's, bad.
1: That's not her style. Let's let's leave it there. That's not a good um, showcase but, for her. But then you specific fast forward. vocal
0: gifts. But then you fast forward to Like a Prayer at the end of the decade and the she has then become an album storyteller. And you've got – that yeah. album tells like this complete story. But you're right. Those first two albums, it's just single, 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 mandatory ballad, bounce out. And that's also true yeah. actually of um, True Blue. Although the, the, there are ballads throughout that album. But the last two songs on True Blue are just filler and they're booty cake. There yeah. there, I said it. But and I, I
1: think – I think there's also a, a Michael Jackson album where it's it's not a Ben song, but it's that ballad that like nobody plays it anymore. It's yes, like either on Thriller or it's immediately it's like some just,
0: oh yeah, there's a Namby. terrible song on Thriller. Hold on. I'm going to look it up.
1: Do you know what I'm talking about?:
0: Yeah, there's a terrible it's, song on the back of Thriller. she's She's
1: not in my life, she's
0: out of my life. The lady in my life. Yeah. Oh. Terrible. Oh. Terrible. Just
1: is like, and you could, t- you know that Quincy was like, son, you need another Ben. We got to put this on. <laughs> it's, it's not a, it, we're not horse trading. Go and sing it.
0: And totally. And also Michael
1: Jackson having no way to relate to adult females in a like meaningful, healthy fashion, sang it. It sounded like somebody was stepping on his dick. And maybe they were. And it's horrible. Horrible.
0: But, you know, this idea of the arc brings me to a point that I wanted to make talking about the Beck song, E-Pro, which is, by the way, E hyphen pro. It's not like some weird over-the-counter medication. You have problems with your cholesterol? take epro ask your well, doctor it, it
1: may be some kind of scientology recommended reference well, i'm not actually sure seriously. about that
0: but i was also thinking about the difference between you know artists who start out with just singles albums and then they release huge albums you can also think about artists who were always going to be conceptual statement album artists but who got introduced to the world through novelty singles and Beck mm-hmm. is absolutely one of those people, because the first yes. thing that we heard of Beck was Loser, which is a good song, but not like Beck. You know, he, it's, it's like it is Beck-esque, but I feel like it is so much more aggressively marketed. There's so much more of an attempt, I feel like, on that song to sound like what was popular on the radio at the time. And I also think about that's true of Fiona Apple and Criminal, which is a great song, uh-huh. but you know, if you look at what she did later, it's nothing like that. Or to me, one of the ultimate examples: Radiohead, like "Creep," was their first song that yes. we knew. Nothing like what they became, and I just—it has it's nothing to
1: do. Yeah, I think that distance is even bigger. But like Beck and Radiohead, and those came out pretty close. Yeah, together, and there was this sort of like I think they, along with the. The presidents of the United States of America. I'm gonna say.
0: <laughs> She's lump. She's lump. Yes.
1: Made up this like little subgenre that that Rolling Stone had a cutesy name for that was like self-loathing rock or something like that. And I was like, but isn't that most rock? Like, isn't yes. that why people join bands? <laughs> they think they think they can't get it in without the guitar. But yeah, that. And I remember that this album, like, it took some convincing from my brother, that I was like, really? He's like, oh, well, like, Loser's not typical of Beck, and I said, well, I know that, but I did have that whole album, too, and I just, I think this might be a little too experimental for me. His voice is actually not all that, like, if you strip out everything else but his voice, it's actually not all that pleasant to listen to, so I was dubious, definitely, but then, you know, I guess I, like, borrowed it or whatever, and this those first chords come on, and I was like, okay, like yeah. I'm not convinced, but I'm interested. And then as the album proceeded, and it it really was more like this fusion experience of hip hop, electronic, some praguey elements in it. But I was like, I'm into this. Like he he knows how to build a song really well, and right. I love it. Well, but. If that, if but if he had not led with this one, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would have um, kept turning the pages, as it were.
0: Little did he know how much this song was doing for you, and then for him indirectly.
1: Mm, well, Zenu commanded
0: it. <laughs> and Kirstie Alley. <laughs> and the Rubies. <laughs> <laughs> and, and nancy cartwright weirdly enough love you
1: guys Wait, <laughs> don't really? sue us oh i was thinking of veronica cartwright i was like her that seems weird there'll be no darkness to-
0: Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting, and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. Today's theme song was written by Laura Barger and Jack Baldelli.
1: Want to request a song or buy an ad? We'd love that. Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. Hit us up on our Facebook page, which is Mastass.podcast, or tweet at us at TalkSongs.
0: We would also love to nab a top 100 ranking on the iTunes podcast music chart. So if you like the show, please go to iTunes and give us a five star rating and a good review. It helps our numbers and it makes us feel like we have a purpose in this cold, cruel world. <laughs> Till next time, this is Sarah. This is Mark. And this, and this is Mark, is and, Mark Sarah and Sarah talk, about, talk songs. about songs.
1: Good love, Good <laughs> Oh, the bark cackle. It's my favorite.